pace is moving much faster. Okay, starting now. Namaste viewers, welcome to Jaipur Dialogue USA, Jaipur Dialogues, and welcome to the show today. Uh, let me begin this show with the, with the congratulations to the Indian team for winning the match against Pakistan. Uh, last uh, in the Hardik hit a six and a much deserved victory, much needed victory was achieved. So congratulations team India and uh, for a glorious win. It was an important win. Today's topic is about, uh, you know, recently you must have seen that the three, four ladies in Plano, Texas, which Plano is a very respectable area where most of the well-to-do people live. And there you saw a video of a Mexican-American berating, hitting four Indian women. But to the credit of these four ladies, who later on appeared on a CBS interview, uh, were conducted themselves very restrained, very dignified, and they ha handled the issue very well because they held their head high and respectably handled the situation. That Mexican-American woman has been put in jail with a 10,000 bail and, uh, you know, rest of the legal process will go on. It has been termed as a hate crime, primarily because she threatened to blow their heads off uh, of the Indian women now. Now, this brings us to the question, of late, we have been witnessing that Indians and obviously NRIs, obviously mostly Hindus, are facing some kind of a hate crime and they are targets of attack. We know that Sikhs have also faced very brutal attacks on them. Their percentages are very high. Hindu percentage is relatively low. But at this point in time, we are a target, whether we like it or not. To discuss this matter in detail, we have greatest of pleasures in welcoming two physicians of Indian origin, Dr. Asim Shuklaji and Dr. Bharat Barai. Both of them are professors and practicing physicians as well, and they have been very deeply involved in the matters that concerns us all. Asim Shuklaji is one of the founders of Hindu American Foundation, and those of you who know the other name, uh, Suhag Shukla, both of them are happily married couple, and they lead that entire effort to reestablishing the Hindu narrative in America through the Hindu American Foundation. Dr. Bharat Barai is a remarkably famous NRI in this part of the world. It's absolutely impossible for somebody to say they don't know him. And he has had tremendous innings with the government in many policy issues. And uh, I have greatest of pleasure in welcoming both of you. So Asim, since you alphabetically you go A with A, I will go with you, start with you first. How do you see this thing morphing into a real problem for us here? Because it is creating a sense of frustration and a sense of dejection that despite being the most uh, peace-loving, not a law and order problem community, we are being targeted and hunted. That's the feeling I get. And it is creating a lot of uncertainty in the minds of people. So the question is, why against us? Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me, Vibhutiji, uh, uh, here on Jaipur Dialogues. It's a pleasure to be here also with Dr. Barai. Uh, <clears throat> you know, the question you raise uh, is a uh, is very urgent one um, because uh, 
this is a really an unprecedented time over the last just two weeks we've seen in this compressed time frame over this summer uh, we've seen quite a few uh, uh, unusual attacks targeting our community uh, number one of course it started with the gandhi statue destruction in uh, queens uh, close to where you are of course here on the east coast um, uh, and uh, you know, once uh, there was first an initial attack and then followed up by another attack where they destroyed the remnant uh, remaining aspect of that statue so that it was completely destroyed, used a sledgehammer, even jumped on the torso and then uh, ran away during the night. Uh, and that investigation is ongoing as a hate crime targeting us has been reported to the FBI and will be accounted for as a hate crime. And then that was followed right after uh, in Fremont, California, where uh, Krishna Nair was, uh, uh, you know, standing there at Taco Bell ordering, just like so many people do, a bean burrito and was suddenly targeted out of nowhere, spat upon uh, with the most vile anti-Hindu uh, anti and Hindu-phobic rhetoric that I think I've ever seen recorded. I mean, you know, credit to him uh, for standing uh, st uh, strong with the camera, even as he was being spit on, even as his rather... A uh, large man was, uh, you know, making all types of motions towards him and uh, uh, and various threats. Uh, he stood his ground, recorded this for posterity so that we have an actual record of what goes on. And then followed by, of course, the uh, situation in Plano that you rightly mentioned. For me, I haven't seen a period in this, you know, this many obvious uh, accounts that have been recorded. We know that attacks happen rather routinely. It's not an unusual thing. You're right, uh, by FBI numbers, it's lower than some of the other communities, but it's still a substantial number and increasing number of attacks that the Hindu community has continued to face in terms of hate attacks. But having them recorded really makes it palpable and really makes it something that we now have to deal with. You know, I. Uh, we've been in this space for over 25 years at HAF. I, you know, having been born in this country, so what now 50, almost 53 years, uh, I've never seen this. You know, what is it that we are now being targeted? And we can discuss, we'll get into many of the different things. But I think let's set the stage of where we are. We have multiple attacks that have now been recorded. Some have been Hindu phobic, some have been anti Indian. Uh, but they all sort of circle around and, you know, uh, whether you say uh, it's Hindu phobic or anti-Indian, look at some of the language they use. Cow piss drinker, curry ass, B-I-T-C-H, uh, you know, uh, uh, various other uh, vile rhetoric that was used. You know, you don't belong here. Why are you here? You dirty Indian. Uh, we heard that on both of those attacks. Uh, and we heard some references to Khalistan in two of those attacks that I've outlined, the Fremont attack and the temple destruction, the, the Gandhi statue destruction. So it's bringing in, you know, the anti-India rhetoric that we've been seeing in our country or anti-immigrant rhetoric, but it's also bringing in some Hindu phobic rhetoric, rhetoric and bringing in some, some of the ongoing issues in India and putting them squarely in the United States and making us deal with them. Thank you very much. The wonderful opening statement you made. Bharat, Bharat ji, and I want to have your perspective because you are also very, very aware and very <clears throat> involved individual, and you have done a lot of work for the community. So tell us about this. Uh, Asimji referred to, uh, you know, the plethora of attack with language, our culture, our traditions, our murtis, our temples, 
and the very essential being is this some kind of a you know attempt by anti-hindu forces to hit us on the civilizational front why is it so i think vibhutiji <coughs> as i see it one aspect is a technical aspect these attacks may have occurred in the past and may have been reported but it was difficult to prove now with the smartphones everybody has camera and everybody has ability to record it so in this plano texas case and in the fremont case they were able to record it with their own personal smartphones which is very good one way because it allows us to give a documentary proof you don't have to his word versus my word here is recorded both audio and visual <clears throat> so that is helpful i think if i try to slice it there are four kinds of groups <clears throat> that are potentially anti hindu and anti indian one are the khalistanis now this is kind of very disturbing in the sense <clears throat> there were more than 8 million sikhs at time of 1947 <laughs> i think something like 8.5 million most of them have migrated to india to accommodate them the government gave all kinds of special treatment to them <laughs> now there are only 8000 or so sikhs that are left in pakistan out of 8 and a half million most of the time these people will be grateful that the country gave them so much of accommodation then from the greater punjab state to give majority to the sikhs they divided the punjab into punjab haryana and himachal pradesh and carved out in such a way that the sikhs would have about 60% population in the new punjab state <clears throat> recently when what has happened in afghanistan most of the sikhs who were either bombed or scared where did they come they come to india nobody went to pakistan and yet in spite of being grateful and another side opening their own eyes that it is the islamic fundamentalists that have killed sikhs they abducted young sikh girls in pakistan raped them forcibly converted them and instead of trying to blame pakistan and islamic fundamentalism some of these totally misguided brainwashed people are trying to attack the country and the religion of the people who have been so gracious and who have been so accommodative in fact they forget that the first sentence of guru granth sahib was ram naam urdar and guru nanak had gone for ram darshan at the ayodhya temple that was cited in the supreme court judgment trying to prove that ram mandir existed there because in i think year 1510 or so guru nanak went there and in nanak nama he has made a reference to him having gone for ram darshan so this is very disturbing <clears throat> and some of the mischievous elements in canada and some in silicon valley are trying to foster this kind of animosity the second group are the islamic extremist especially driven by some of the extremist pakistani element and some driven by 
Palestinian extremist element. Now, India has given support to the Palestinians for all these years. They are still supporting them, but they are not blindly supporting them. They are more balancing out between Palestine and Israel. The third group are the white supremacists. We knew that they were always against anybody who was not white, but that KKK <clears throat> is kind of number three coming up against the Indians. This particular woman in Plano, Texas, who claimed herself to be Mexican-American, <laughs> that is even more surprising because Mexicans themselves, either that woman or uh, uh, what was her name? Esmeralda? Yes. Yeah, her father or grandfather, somebody was an immigrant. So why as an immigrant who themselves complain of discrimination are trying to do the discrimination against another group of immigrants, the Indian Americans. So that is a new kind of uh, thing that has come up where at least a Mexican American woman and I hope that is an exception rather than rule because I have not come across other Mexican-Americans who are anti-Indian. So, uh, yes, it is disturbing. And I'm glad that Esmeralda was caught by Plano, Texas police. And I hope that the Justice Department also sues her for civil rights violation. Since the people in Texas have already taken the lead, I'm watching it. But otherwise, we'll write to the Justice Department to prosecute her for violation of the civil rights of four Indian Americans. And it is, you know, you don't need a proof. It's right there on the video camera. Yeah, I mean, these these things take time to prove that is the bane of democracy, the benefit of democracy, rule of law, at the same time as uh, a famous quote goes that the criminals and antisocial elements take advantage of the compassion of the rule of law and the compassion of the society. And uh, more consideration is paid to the accused, it is you know a word that is used that, than the ones who suffered. Uh, Asimji, th this brings to a very interesting element: the hatred that is happening here. Is that when COVID happened? You know, when COVID happened, I remember seeing plethora of articles. You know, blaming Modi, and they even called it the Indian variant, whereas they systematically avoided mention of China Wuhan virus element, but Indian variant, the word caught on. And just as is the race related thing when the Chinese virus was talked about as a Wuhan virus, we saw violence against the Chinese people here and then it was stopped. But the Indian variant mentioned never stopped. In, 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 in reality, India ends up doing better than most countries in handling the COVID part. But tell us something about the Indian, the word Indian, because even the people, the, the natives of America, they were branded as Indians. So we are in a in a very interesting soup where we have been targeted as an attack, as the aboriginals and everything else. But this particular thing has stuck. Despite being the most accomplished professional group, doing well for the community, paying 6% of the taxes in this country, yet we are hounded, we are looked down upon. Is our success the cause of our becoming a target? Yeah. You know, this is a, a very important point. And uh, 
I think, you know, to your broader question, it really, to me, raises a question of whether the type of uh, anti-Indian rhetoric that we see at higher levels, say in the media, say in certain areas of academia, and it's not just anti-India, but also anti-Hindu rhetoric. And I, and I don't mean to commonly conflate these two because anti-India and anti-Hindu is not necessarily the same. Uh, however, in many places, it is often a substitute for each other. Uh, oftentimes, that line is often uh, a very difficult to see. Um, so when I refer to it, I'm referring it to more generally, but I, I totally understand that, for example, the attack in Texas, I don't consider that necessarily Hindu-phobic yes. because the language used was very anti-India. Uh, but there are oftentimes areas where they connect and they merge and they come from the same well, oftentimes the anti-India and anti-Hindu rhetoric. So I just want to be clear on that. Um, but there is a, no question um, that more than any other time that I recall, being uh, someone who is supportive of a U.S.-India relationship, that was always something that brought our community together. You know, for all of the years that I've been in advocacy, all of the years that I've followed U.S.-India relations, to be an Indian American, a proud Indian American, to stand for both the United States and India, the two largest democracy, or the oldest and the largest, working together, was always something that brought all aspects of our community together. It brought Indian Muslims, Indian Sikhs, Indian Christians, Hindus. We could all come together on the US-India nuclear deal. You could come together on trade issues. You could come together on many things to champion that. It is only over the last five to six years that it's become uh, sort of a calling card to say, oh, you must be, you're an extremist. You support US-India relations, meaning you support Modi, meaning you are you know, the worst human being possible, uh, or that you support fascism. Uh, and, you know, in reality, all that Indian Americans are doing is supporting the same U.S.-India relationship that Blinken is supporting, that Biden is supporting. This is U.S. policy, that India is a very important partner, especially when you're dealing with China, when you're dealing with all of the uncertainty in the world, that very reliable allies should be coming together. This is what Europe wants. This is what the United, uh, UK wants. This is what the United States want. So to be a champion of that relationship is to be in the mainstream. To actually be against that is to be against the mainstream and to be pursuing a radical agenda. So I think we need to lay that out there, that if you're against a positive, constructive U.S.-India relationship, you are the radical. You are the extremist. You are the one who is against prevailing U.S. policy. Now, because, though, there's this whole narrative, like the recent articles we've seen in The New York Times and The Washington Post, there has, it has become acceptable to target Indians as dirty, Indians as extremists, Indians as intolerant. Um, that picture has begun to stick because you are being told that if you like India, if you support India, that you must be loyal to India. So your loyalty is questioned. Dual loyalty comes up because you're proud of, in, of, of, your, uh, of your ancestral homeland, that you want India to be secure, safe, prosperous because you have relatives there. Now you have dual loyalty. You are not fully American. You are really kind of more pro-India, while every other country, you know, Cuban Americans 
Argentinian Americans, uh, you know, uh, Europe, Italian Americans, Greek Americans, they can all be proud of their uh, country uh, or, they, or their other side of the hyphen. But if Indians dare do that, they're painted as somehow extremists, somehow fascist, or they must explain everything that Modi does, good or bad, suddenly becomes your burden or something that you have to either condemn or celebrate. When you're looking past all of that, you're saying there's certain inalienable things that this is what a U.S.-India relationship should be. This is the security of India, of integrity of India. All of those things have been brought into question and because they have. It has become it has given license to some of these extremists who just know enough about this to suddenly unleash their, you know, venomous emotions against an average Indian ordering a bean burrito at Taco Bell. Thank you. Uh, I will piggyback on the same of the statements made by Dr. Shukla Bharati is that uh, narrative part. You know, as he very point, poignantly pointed out that everybody is welcome to be what they are and love their ancestral homes, but we do it, then we become a villain. This is the thing which I was talking about, the civilizational part of it. It has something to do with the uh, Judaic, uh, you know, Abrahamic faith part of it, that science and technology has flattened the human dynamics at this point in time. <clears throat> and is this, is the, is the rise of Sanatan or is the rise of uh, our principles of universality, universal principles, that we as humans, we are all the same, impacting the fear factor where the religion is based on fear and ignorance. People are knowing a lot more. Just imagine, just a few minutes ago, we were getting the scores live from India or the cricket match. So we are living in a world <clears throat> where there is a flattening of the of the uh, playing field in more ways than one. Are, are we perceived as the Murti Puja idol worshippers as a threat to the Abrahamic faith? And that's how it is arising? You know, <clears throat> Vibhutuji, <clears throat> there is no question <clears throat> that there is a small minority. I would say most of the whites are still very decent human beings. Yes. But there is a small extremist minority. And same thing among the Muslims. Uh, Sikhs, maybe a little more Khalistani because they are misguided on the West Coast and in Canada. But let's see why. Number one. As an ethnic group, we are most successful educationally and financially. They say that nobody tries to hate a beggar. They all pity a beggar. But if you are rich, successful, maybe you drive a Mercedes or a Tesla or a Lexus, or you are living in a large home, <clears throat> people want to be jealous of you. Many of them will admire you for success, but there will be some who will be jealous. Same thing is happening to the Jews, even though in color they are white and their first names are still same as the people, but still Jews are hated, haunted, and discriminated against by small minority of extremists. So we are also different in our names. We are also different in our appearance. We are also different in our lifestyle, in our food habits. So it gives people time and ability to try to discriminate because 
we are little different. But on the other hand, those who are well educated, most of them realize how valuable we are. And I don't know if any of the Silicon Valley companies will be able to run successfully if all people who are of Indian ethnicity are excluded. That's a reality. And many of the functions of the banks and other financial institutions may not be able to function if you take out Indian ethnicity in support either here or in India. So it's unfortunate, but we'll have to just live with that. Now, why does it not happen to the Irish Americans or Italian Americans or German Americans? Because their look is not different. They speak with the same accent and our children also will speak with the same accent, but their look will still be somewhat different. So I hope that this small extremist minority will be reduced further and further and sidelined by most other people who are nice, decent and tolerant. Well, uh, I join you in your hope and I sincerely pray that extremism doesn't drive extreme behaviors, which is mostly it happens. In our management work, we sometimes say extremes drive the middle. And it is very important to, to curb the extremism is away. So, Dr. Shukla, uh, you know, at Hindu American Foundation, you guys are doing a phenomenal work for as many years. So I am also aware that you guys, uh, Suhag and others are coming to Long Island shortly, and I'll be there to meet with all of you. My point is very simple here. How do we change that invisible war that is going against us? Because there's a very important point here. We are the most peaceful law-abiding citizens in any immigrant community anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. Anywhere in the world. We are not a law and order problem anywhere. We don't kill people in the name of XYZ. Yet, we are branded as violent, fascist, Hindu, Hindu supremacists, Hindutva. Every word of Hindus is has a serious negative connotation. Whereas those who kill, they are people are bending backwards to accommodate them. How do we address that phenomenon uh, as changing the Hindu narrative? Yeah. Well, that, Viputi ji, is the, uh, you know, 23-year-old question, right? Uh, you know, it's funny. Our, our oldest son is 24 years old. And HAF was uh, first established in uh, 2003. So uh, how much is that? Uh, 19 years ago, right? So, you know, some, and my younger son is uh, 19 years old, almost as old as HAF. And he often asks, you know, you've been doing this for 19 years, fighting the same fight. You know, when do you ever win or when does this ever end? Right. And, uh, you know, it can be a frust frustration that, wait, you've been here this long and you haven't solved this. Um, well, you know, we made a lot of progress and then, you know, geopolitical things change and, and things happen and other forces uh, come upon the scene. Um, in the end, the same battlefield, the same Kurukshetra is laid out, arrayed in front of us. And unfortunately, the adversaries change, but the philosophy, the ideology is the same. Now, you know, what, why should we be so surprised? I mean, this has been going on since the foundation of the United States, the founding of India, 
whatever is happening geopolitically is going to reflect in, in these types of things. This is a time of great polarization. So we are facing great polarization. What we have to do is that, you know, discuss in fora like this so we know who these players are. Okay, who is it that is, is arrayed against us? Um, and what can we do as a community? And to me, the most important thing that we can do as a community is to build awareness, to know that, listen, if you or your children are at school and at university and they want to have a Hindu event, they are going to possibly face these types of, uh, of this type of intolerance. It's the same thing that any community has had to learn over the years, that anti-Semitism will exist and it has existed and it continues to exist. Hindu phobia exists and it will continue to exist in these types of ways that they will come after your festivals, that they will call your puja fascist or your Saraswati puja before exams, they'll call it a, uh, a casteist experiment. They will do this, they will do that. Um, be aware of those types of things. So we have to educate uh, our next generation. Our next generation is being much more uh, cowed by a lot of this that's happening. You know, universities, we're seeing this over and over. Uh, you know, they're walking away from their festivals. They're walking away from uh, solidarity with other Hindu organizations because they're afraid of being labeled, uh, you know, uh, uh, fascist or being labeled uh, Hindutva for being labeled extremists, Hindu extremists or right wing Hindus just for having an assertive Hindu identity. So we have to begin with education. We have to begin with uh, knowing and identifying just as we've been doing that these are the tactics they're using and this is how you speak to that. Um, so we have a whole language at HAF on how we deal with dual loyalty smears, how we deal with the Hindu phobic smears. We have an entire glossary. Anyone can go to the website and look up the Hindu phobia glossary because these are the terms, the vocabulary, know the language that's being used to insinuate certain things about you that you have never perceived about yourself. Uh, and then, um, you know, being a very, um, being assertive and pushing back and not allowing those things. And so, you know, here's the language of advocacy. Here's the language of activism. Um, and, and we're trying to put all of, the, all of those things together. We're gonna see it, you know, you're gonna see big news uh, from HAF on the cast front uh, as, as the upcoming weeks uh, go on. Um, you know, how uh, we're dealing with all of that that's happening in Silicon Valley, that's happening here. Um, so, you know, all of these things tie together. We have to see it as it is, that these are all interconnected. Uh, and as long as we can see that and we can get the big picture out in front of our audience, and if people become more engaged, we're seeing changes. We can make, we can push back against this latest assault upon us. We've seen many like this. We have continued to move forward. You can see where our community is today, uh, and we will continue to succeed. But it's going to take education, it's going to take awareness, and it's going to take uh, uh, advocacy, pushing forward, moving forward. There's a lot of events happening over the next few months. Uh, where just like Long Island, there's an event coming up in Washington, D.C. More of these events from many different Hindu organizations, Hindu American organizations working together, we're going to start turning the tide and pushing back. I'm very that, optimistic. That, that's a very wonderful optimism that you talked about. <clears throat> just one thing that 
19 years is not too long. It is, seems long, but it's not too long because after all, United States, I have been hearing since 1991 when I came here, they're yes. still searching for comprehensive immigration reform. So, yes. so, you know, like, so let's not be apologetic. One thing which I always tell most of my friends is, let's not be apologetic. Let's not be diffident. Let's not be defensive when we do not need to. And that's what is important. Bharati, I'm coming to you. You have been very active in, in the community activity activities. And my inquiry with you is, how is it that you are both of you are professors so you have seen the academic world close up there a lot of syllabus a lot of curriculum in the schools and colleges are so anti so that as asimdi said that our children are more apologetic we don't want to get involved this wokeism somewhere along the line showed up even in these ladies who said that we are not part of hindutva we are americans let the new <clears throat> take place. So they also refrained from identifying themselves as a proud Hindu because they were targeted as Indians. But their identity is a Hindu identity. So the question here is that how is it that our solemn four congressmen or five congressmen who are in the U.S. House of Congress, and I'm contesting for New York State Assembly position, how come they do not say, do anything in this regard? I have not seen any statement made by our honorable congressman. And I say this without meaning anything bad, but it's an honest inquiry as a citizen of America that how come you have nothing to say? It's happening right under your nose in California. Where are these people? Well, I can speak for one because last Sunday I was with him. <clears throat> He's from Chicago and I know Radha Krishnamurti. <laughs> and I did give him my views very candidly, openly, and he agreed because there was a hard guy called Peter Friedrich, who is a known yeah. Hindu baiter. Right. He goes one day to Schomburg Assembly and says, I am a resident of Schomburg because he stayed overnight in hotel in Schomburg. <laughs> one day he goes, Glenn, and then says, oh, I am a resident here because he stayed in the motel there overnight. So he went then to Aurora and tried to do the same pitch. And I had a good 45 minute, very strong, very robust shootout with him on this issue. Of course, I was not apologetic to him, very straightforward about Hindutva. So I think Raja understands our stand. Uh, the other one from Silicon Valley, who I know very well, Rokhanna. He's coming here also on 24th of September to do a fundraiser in Chicago. And <clears throat> I have good relations with him. Many times I think we put the jeep pulling them on the side and giving your mind rather than trying to dress them down in public. So I'm going to try to do that. Uh, the third one, who oh, is a doctor, but he's married to a non-Hindu woman and he tries to put himself more as kind of neutral as far as religion is concerned or a non-religious denominational person. And the fourth one I've given up, Pramila Jaipal. <clears throat> I'd supported her during her first campaign. <laughs> I'd met her. But what I understand is that she has quite a few Somali in her constituency and left wing and very few Hindu. So she is trying to project herself as if she has no connection to Hindu. 
So we really have only three or two and a half, if you want to say. Uh, when it comes to India, the third one is okay. He's strong pro-Indian and I is actually uh, co-chair of the House Caucus. Am I right? Yeah. Asimji, Bharati is asking you that question. Uh, who, uh, who is co-chair of, of which caucus? The India caucus? Yeah, in the House. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'd have to look okay. it up, to be honest. <clears throat> mm -hmm. But anyway, <clears throat> he's also ranking member mm -hmm. of the... No, he's actually chairman or co-chair of the House South Asia Committee, subcommittee. So anyway, we have been telling them. And now what I'm doing, Vibhuti, when people come here asking for support in name of being Indian, I very bluntly ask them in that same meeting, are you going to be pro-Hindu and pro-India? And if you are not, I don't want to write any more checks. You can go ahead and win on your own. <clears throat> I, I tell you, majority of them are trying out. I, I'm still willing to give them some money for trying out. But if they are going to be anti-Hindu or anti-India, well, they can try somewhere else. They're, why do they come from Texas to me here? What is my connection to a person in Texas? He wants me to write check because I'm an Indian American. Well, then I'm expecting something in return of being labeled Indian American. And I'm telling other colleagues also in Chicago area, don't write a check unless the guy is calling or willing to call himself pro-Hindu and pro-India. I realized that when he are representing his constituency, he has to represent all. That's okay. But he doesn't have to be anti-Hindu and he doesn't have to be anti-India. I, I applaud you for being so firm and assertive about it. And that's what is very important that in, in New York area, when the, when the New York State Assembly and the Senate were almost going to confirm swastik as a hate symbol, and HAF worked and we also worked remarkably strongly, conveyed them our impression. And I said this to my fellow colleagues in Long Island, that it's a really sad thing that we have been supporting these people and we had no clue what they were doing against our interests. Yeah, but Vibhutiji, <clears throat> I have many Jewish friends. Yes. And they, I tell them that there are two kinds of swastikas. There is a German swastika and there is Hindu swastika and they are different. Right. So I said, yes, you can bring a head resolution against the German swastika or Nazi swastika. Hacken Cruz, Hacken Cruz, to put it mildly, yes, yeah, not yeah. that uh, yes. swastika at all. It's yeah. Hacken Cruz, yeah, right. Yeah. right? The German Hacken Cruz and the Hindu and the swastika. There's only yeah. one swastika, right? That's only one swastika. Yeah. That's the Hindu yeah. swastika, yeah. Uh, but to, to Bharat uh, Ji's uh, Dr. Barai's point, uh, I think he makes a very good point. Uh, uh, sorry, did I cut you off, uh, Dr. Barai? Of yeah. No, I, I think he makes a very good point about holding our elected leaders accountable. You know, if we're yeah. writing checks, uh, we've, we've hopefully come beyond the age of the photo uh, op. And we're not just <laughs> content to have a photo. You will be, you know, as a politician yourself, uh, Vibhutiji, uh, you know, we're going to want a little more than just a, just a smile, right? Uh, yes. when, when Absolutely. When somebody writes you a check. Um, and, uh, you know, to that extent, there is the uh, Hindu-American Political Action Committee uh, and uh, several PACs that have now come together for greater uh, coordination. Um, and 
what we're seeing now, which is a very positive mood a move, is most of the Hindu pacts are now discussing and coming together on a common agenda that here's the Hindu American political, you know, you can call it an agenda or uh, a checklist. Um, but, you know, this is being given to those who are seeking assistance from the Hindu American community. And it talks about, you know, issues that are very important to the community, such as Hindu phobia, such as the integrity of uh, Jammu and Kashmir as a part of India, uh, to uh, the issue of U.S.-India relationships uh, and NDAA and authorizations and things like that. Uh, you know, to uh, many of the issues uh, that uh, we're discussing here about hate crimes. So all of that is part of an agenda that now goes to anyone who comes to Hindu community. And I would, you know, Dr. Barai already does this. He, he passes on those names uh, to uh, Dr. Megani and to the uh, Hindu American PAC. Together we vet the candidates. Uh, and then if it, if it makes sense, then support is proffered. It's not just a guarantee that, oh, you're, you know, brown or, oh, you're Hindu, so here's a check. Um, you know, there's more to it than that. And, and I think that's just the maturation of our community. It's a maturation of our political donors, class. Um, so I think we're seeing that and, and we're seeing results of that. And this is bipartisan. I mean, you know, it's not about Democrats. It's not about Republicans. And you can see that the Ilhan Omar... Uh, resolution. It got, you know, maybe 10 or 12 co-sponsors out of what, 435 members of Congress, right? So, uh, or uh, 335 uh, House members. You have uh, maybe less than a dozen co-sponsors. And almost certainly, or you can just say certainly, it's not going to even pass the House Foreign Affairs Committee. We have, uh, we've heard from enough members to know that it's not going anywhere. So these types of things tell us that the community matters the community is being heard, uh, that people can do all types of different shenanigans. You know, I remember in the 1980s, Gurmit Singh Aulak uh, every week had an anti-India resolution as a, you know, the Khalistan representative on the Hill at the time. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, they would get, uh, you know, the guy from Indiana, I'm blanking on his name, but uh, Dr. Barai will remember, uh, Press, not, not Pressler. No, but, no, no, Pressler was the amendment. Yeah, um, I'm trying to remember his name. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe, maybe good riddance we forgot. But you know, <laughs> uh, this was this was a time when you know he would uh, meet with Gurmit Singh Olak and drop a resolution, an anti-India resolution, and sometimes they got you know a fair number of, uh, of co-sponsors. That doesn't happen today. Uh, nobody of any substance or merit would sign on to such a thing. So, you know, and even uh, Ro Khanna was, you know, in support of the NDAA. Of course, then he didn't vote for it because it was part of a different resolution, but that's a whole different story. Uh, but we know that in general, um, you know, say what you will, Pramila Jaipal uh, has not come up with an anti-India resolution ever since the Kashmir uh, attempt, uh, you know, immediately after the abrogation of 370, which is a very popular move among Indian Americans. So. Uh, she's uh, sort of completely left that scene, uh, hasn't said a anti-India re- uh, uh, statement in over two years. So I think our community matters uh, and the political activism and political engagement is paying results. See, I have to st- share the story about this guy, Dan Burton. Dan, Dan, Dan Burton. Dan Burton. Yes. So I, I won't name the candidate, but he was standing for governor of Indiana. 
and I had a fundraiser in my basement. So then I approached him, and he was a Republican. So I approached him, I said, can you help us with Dan Burton, Congressman, he's so anti-India. And he was gracious. He arranged a meeting, and we had a meeting in suburb of Indianapolis with Congressman Dan Burton. And I was there personally with four other Indian Americans, and we openly talked to him that, you know, why are you doing this, blah, 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 and what can we do so that you are either neutral or more pro-India? And you know what he asked? $100,000. He <laughs> if you get me, he says, doctor, I have to win the election and I need the money. If you can raise $100,000 from Indian community, you got it. But yeah. I believe at that time, Speaker Foley was the house speaker. Mm -hmm. And he had come for a fundraiser in Munster, Indiana, my hometown. And we talked to him about Dan Burton. Of course, he was a Democrat. And he said that, look, doctor, you are better off having Don Burton on the other side <clears throat> because he's not liked by most people. He's considered an extremist person. So if Dan Burton sponsors any resolution, you are almost guaranteed it's not going to go anywhere. It's same thing with Ilhan Omar. We talked to our congressmen, many of them, they said, look, if Ilhan Omar sponsors a resolution, you know that it's not going to go anywhere because most of the Jewish members are not going to support it. Many of the moderate Democrats are not going to support it. And you can see here what happened with the Islamophobia resolution. It's not going anywhere in Senate. And in fact, we talked to Radha Krishnamurti, we talked to Rokhanda, I talked to Frank Marwan, and they said, yeah, we got a lot of representation. If we had to do it over again, I don't know that we will vote for it. But they all realized that it is not going anywhere. And we said, Raja, why don't you come up with a resolution about any kind of religious discrimination, not just Islam, but Hindus, Sikhs, Christian, Catholics, whatever you want to call it. So I think Ilhan Omar, if she takes one side, I think you can be guaranteed that most people are going to be on the other side. I'm 100% sure that most of the viewers today would be very relieved to hear both of you affirm so proudly and so categorically that things are not going to hurt the Hindu community, regardless of the breast chest thumping or the breast beating by anyone. This is very, very comforting on this Sunday afternoon in New York on the Eastern time. I want to come to another very interesting topic. Uh, is that... Pardon me for interruption. Can I quote somebody? He was the editor of Lok Satta, which was a newspaper in Vadodara, and I was yes. discussing with him. Okay. And <clears throat> at that time, it was Indira Gandhi's emergency. Hmm. He says, sit down, sit down, doctor. <laughs> this country survived 600 years of Muslim rule. It survived 200 years of English rule, and it will survive Indira Gandhi also. So let's have a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> you are right. I'll tell you a very interesting story about that because it's actually just the reality that you quoted that this let's address that issue there was a there is a very famous uh, author uh, writer commentator mj akbar i think everybody knows his name few years ago he wrote an article he wrote an article saying that bhutto's thousand year war with india is still has still 950 odd years to go i replied to him i told him ki 
you know, I have met him a couple of times. So I told him, MJ, you are totally off the line in this comment. Because Islam has won its first thousand year war with India. With three, divided, dividing India into three clearly Islamic republic. Our Mahabharat area of Kandahar is gone. We have lost Pakistan and Islamic Republic of Bangladesh. So the idea is that Sanatan will survive, we Hindus will survive. But the question is where? Sindhis today don't have a homeland of their own. Kashmiris are foreigners in their own country. Look at the way they are being hounded out. So the question is, are we going to be hounded out in our own home? Is India a ripe country because we are not going to die? 1.3 billion Indians are not going to die, of as many Hindus are not going to die, but are we going to be balkanized? So there is a very critical term called democratic aspirations, which the Western world falls very rapidly to it. And that's the fear that whose democratic aspiration is important today? 80% of Hindus or, to, or the or a belligerent minority that insists on having their own say? That's the important part. So I agree with you that we have survived it all. But in what form? Today, Kashmiri Pandits don't have their homeland. And they are even afraid to go back. So here is what I wanted to suggest that all of us today talk about education and creating awareness. I am demanding, and I have tweeted it a couple of times, that unless and until, in Kashmir particularly, after 370, unless and until we demand, demand, and I insist on the word demand, from Abdullah's and the and the Mufti Muhammad's and Kashmir uh, PDP, PDP and whatever party they are, that you have to categorically apologize for the dreaded, unfortunate three words, leave, convert, or die. You apologize for that. Say that this will never happen again. If you do not do that, then we are going again to be slaughtered again. That's the point which is very important. So I agree, we have survived. But how? If we were we were so accepted, this would not be happening. I will come back to this point that I was going to ask you. One of my friends from upstate New York, he always says that we Indians are very wealthy. We have done well for ourselves. But what do we do for the American community? You know, there have been individual streaks of massive contributions running into 20s and 30s and 40 million dollars to various foundations and uh, created in universities for individual glory and individual name. We have done nothing for the community as such. And he always says that we do nothing for the American community. We raise funds for doing things in India. We do nothing for American communities here. To which another doctor friend of mine says, Vibhuti, don't forget, we contribute 6% of the taxes in America. How do we make that known? Again, back to education and awareness. 6% of American tax pairs contribution we make, you and I make. You guys are doctors, we're the first frontline people who made Indian professionals famous, respected, liked. Who doesn't like an Indian doctor? Then came the IT guys, who are hundreds of them are CEOs in companies. And every Indian professional has done well. But have we done much for the local community to do something to get recognition that we do this? Thoughts, both of you. This question is addressed to both of you, so don't have to repeat that. Either one of you can take the lead in answering that. You know, I, I'll i take that first because yeah. uh, this is something that Suhag and I were discussing quite a bit. We were recently uh, in Kenya, in Nairobi, and uh, met with several leaders of the Hindu institutions there from uh, 
whether it was uh, BAPS or the Kachi uh, Jain Oswal, uh, Visa Oswal community to the, uh, uh, the Jalaram uh, temple community, very, very large congregations, many Gujarati, Punjabi, uh, uh, Hindu, Indian organizations. Uh, and when we went to the Jalaram temple, when we uh, one thing that was, and the Sai temple, what was striking is that they had a hospital, a dental clinic, and a open kitchen for the community that they served several thousand meals to Kenyan school children every single day free coming from their kitchens. And Suhag tweeted out pictures of the massive kitchen at the Jalaram temple in, in Nairobi. Uh, and we saw this uh, in the Langata, BAP, uh, Langata Swaminarayan temple. It's a non-BAPS temple and the BAPS temple where they're doing outreaches all over Africa, um, where they're doing the BAPS charities. Uh, what we need to see more of is that. And we're seeing it. Seva International is doing amazing work. Uh, all of the charities that I just mentioned are doing work in the United States. Perhaps we're not highlighting it enough, but we can do more. We need to build more schools. Uh, right next to the Oswal, Visa Oswal uh, Temple, there's a hospital and there's an entire very high demand school, uh, a primary school and a secondary school. So they've built all of these secondary structures uh, and institutions beyond the temple. And we need to do more of that to be more visible. Um, we need to make those donations rather than just giving it. And I'm at a university. And if you'd like to endow a chair, I welcome you to uh, our <laughs> department. Uh, but otherwise, give to your community in other ways. And, and you can uh, you know, make that difference. Uh, and, and we need to be doing that uh, in, in a more tangible and more visible way. So I think we're doing that. Uh, we're growing in that regard, but we, we were one generation away from really being established in that regard. Um, so yes, you're absolutely right that we need to be, you know, this is now home. You know, my, my father came here in 1962. Um, we made an attempt to go back to India in 1976, came back in 79. And after that, I think he knows that I wasn't going back to live full time in India. My sons certainly are not going to be living. And uh, I think once you've made that realization that this is now the land where we are, our community is going to be, where our lineage is now, uh, you know, going to be grounded, we have to accept this as, as our Bumi and our Karma Bumi. Not just Karma Bumi, Punya Bumi is India, but this is also now your Punya Bumi, as much as India is. And we need to invest in that. So I think that's uh, certainly a requirement uh, in, in what you said. And, and again, I, I remain optimistic that we'll get there. We haven't gotten there, uh, but, but we have to begin that journey. Thank you. Bharati, you? I think uh, Asim summed it up very well. Your point is well taken. We have done a lot for our mandirs and other Indian institutions. We have done a lot for many charities in India. But we need to have better image with our local population that we are part of the population and we share both the successes and the grief of the community. So we need to be more active in providing services and also participating in some of the civic functions like 4th of July parade. We should be there as a part of Indian Americans 
not just doing a 15th August parade, we should do 4th July parade also. And at Thanksgiving, some of the institutions are already going out into the community, but doing it in disadvantaged communities like Blacks as well as Hispanic Americans, uh, I think that would give us a good feeling working with the disadvantaged people. Thank you. Thank you very much for this. And one, one, now that we are in the last four minutes of our stretch here, wanted to ask you both, because both of you are very deeply involved and we are talking about this. The one thing which I wanted to say, thank the audience for being on the show today, because it's a, it's a, it's a Sunday afternoon and late night in India. So I've not been able to request people to ask their questions, but we have a question from Oneness and I will come to that. But prior to that, one last question of the day, both of you, is, you know, Indian American Muslim Council, CARE, they are so determined to besmirch us and destroy our image. And they are very focused on that. And they are not mincing words on it. CARE is one organization that is banned even by United, United Arab Emirates, UAE, and the terrorist organizations. Why in America, institutions like this why does the American political system talks about terrorism, war against terrorism, but we have accepted terror as a negotiating tool? What is what is wrong with us in America? What is wrong with the American government that the institutions like this take advantage of the very democratic rights they don't don't accept? Well, I think I'll take a crack at it because I worked on it quite a bit. <laughs> during the resolution against India in the Chicago Council. And at that time, CARE was the one that really led the charge. And one of their internal email <clears throat> came in our hands. So that was the smoking gun we got in our hands and we used it with some of the older men. You're right. Uh, I might just slightly correct you. It's not only banned, it is declared as a terrorist organization. Yes, that's right. That's right. Thank you. 2014, yeah. if I'm correct. Yes. And CARE, the head of CARE in Dallas, Texas, was convicted for money laundering. They were raising the money in name of Holy Land Foundation, which was an affiliate of CARE. <clears throat> and the judge convicted them because they were passing on that money of Holy Land Foundation to Hamas. And he was convicted and he's in jail. He was sentenced to 10 years jail. We used this successfully against CARE in trying to lobby with the aldermen in Chicago. CARE has money, <clears throat> which is coming from nefarious sources. Last Sunday, when I was at a fundraiser for Raja Krishnamurti, he said that, oh, I go everywhere. I have attended fundraiser or event for care. I say, you attended a terrorist organization's event. He says, no. And I just pulled up on my iPhone from Wikipedia that care was declared as a terrorist organization. And he was shocked. He says, I don't believe it. I said, Raja, here it is. Why don't you read it? He read it. He says, I was not aware of it. So if an Indian congressman is not aware of CARE being a terrorist organization by an Islamic country, <clears throat> what has been surprising, Vibhutiji, 
we attack care very directly. In fact, we took out uh, advertisement in Chicago Sun-Times two days before the resolution came in Chicago City Council and openly quoted that it was an affiliate of Muslim Brotherhood, their head has been sentenced in Dallas and is in jail and UAE has declared them as terrorist organization. We expected some sort of backlash from CARE. Believe it or not, there was none. In spite of us openly taking out a newspaper advertisement. <clears throat> so I think they are a little bit on the defensive side. <laughs> the other interesting thing that we learned CARE has a money, they have a full-time office, that is an advantage. And in all the cities where the resolution passed successfully against India, it was CARE, whether it was Seattle or San Francisco. But guess what? When we were, we mounted our own campaign of all volunteers with our own money. <clears throat> and then we did fundraiser after the city of Chicago vote and talking to them. Now, we had adopted our own tactics of trying to lobby for India, and I don't want to share it openly on TV, but we have shared it with our other organizations. You know, we were hearing that the CARE was doing a lot of phone calling and a lot of emailing, and we believed it. But when the alderman told us, we were kind of pleasantly shocked. He says, you know, you guys make our office staff go to hell. I said, what? He says, we received more than 13,500 emails. He said, we didn't have to even time. It was so boring and so exhausting. He says, we didn't read it, but only we, we are classified is as anti-resolution or pro-resolution. I said, yeah, but you know, Alderman, we had to do it because care was, so what they used to do, Vibhuti they had only four or five guys. One day we'll call, make calls in name of Ahmad to all the congressmen, uh, Alderman's office. Another name, day name of Shaheen, third day name of Muhammad, fourth day name of somebody else. So <clears throat> it looked like as if there were hundreds of people who were making phone calls to the alderman's office in support of the resolution. And they received about 450 emails generated by CARE. Fortunately, believe it or not, most of the mainstream Muslims are not with CARE. They have staged some anti-India demonstrations in front of consulate in Chicago. And we have the videos. You know, most of the time it is 15, 20 people. Same way when we had World Hindu Congress in Chicago, we had about 15 or 20 people who demonstrated. And we sent one of the Sardar that we knew was pro-India. He even go and talk to them and take their pictures. <laughs> These are same 15, 17 guys, some Khalistanis and some Indian American Muslim Council who go, whether it is in San Francisco or whether it is in Chicago or Seattle or New York, they travel and make the demonstration. Even when it came to NTCAA, there were demonstrations, there were barely 30, 35 people on Michigan Avenue while we had 600 people on the other side. So I think CARE is getting the money and they are doing this business, but I don't think they have as much support. And same is Indian American Muslim Council. There are some determined group of people, no question. I will switch to now coming to the last element of this entire thing is that, uh, you know, there is a question and I will ask, probably it will lead to many more, some, a little bit more discussion. We are out of